foreman stared down at his calloused hands, watching with unusual concentration as his right thumb massaged his left palm. He screwed up his face, thinking of what to say next to his employer, Mr. Francis Wilson, who stood before him with a fierce, penetrating gaze. Well, Mr. Denton, Mr. Wilson barked, come on, man, out with it. The foreman tried shaping his mouth into words, but none were forthcoming. Forgive me, my lord. I can't seem to think of how best to explain. Mr. Wilson took a few menacing steps from behind his desk and spoke slowly. You can begin with why your workers are not currently building my house, or why they are refusing to come back to the site, or you can tell me about the matters that led to this accident. The foreman shuffled nervously. But, sir, I've written it all down in my letter. Your letter, which I found to be utter nonsense. I want you to look me in the eye, and you tell me each of these things. Contempt oozed from his employer's tone, and the foreman, hard and strong as he might have been, at this moment felt like nothing more than a naughty child being scolded. We have. Each of us felt it, sir. At first it was nothing more than a feeling. Then it grew. Some of the team heard things, thought we saw some things move. The last time we were there, a team was working through the night as per your instruction, sir. Everyone was on edge. The air was charged like the feeling when a storm is on the way. Then, all at once, every light was extinguished. Every lamp, candle and flame, they all went out at once, and we were plunged into total darkness. But in the darkness, we could hear voices. Voices that seemed to be all over the house. We relit the candles as fast as we were able, then all gathered together and waited for the voices to stop. Many of the men wanted a bolt there and then, sir. But some of the more level-headed folks made the others agree to put it to a vote. And it was decided we would all stay and carry on in the morning. That's when the foreman trailed off and hung his head. Mr. Wilson leaned toward him. That's when the boy shattered his legs. The foreman grimaced and nodded. He was working alone on the second floor hallway. I was in the main living room on the ground floor when I heard him scream. And the next thing I knew, he was hitting the floor. His legs broke through the skin straight away. He could barely breathe for the impact and the shock. But through the pain, he managed to get some words out. He said, it pushed me. Something pushed me. All the men dropped their tools there and then. We got the boy out of the house as quickly as we were able. And we sent someone off to get help. Mark me, sir. 
with what we all experienced, not one of those men will step foot in that house ever again. Not with the ghosts that reside within. Wilson sighed and paced back and forth, considering the foreman's tale. After a moment, he asked, How did the boy fall into the living room if he was on the second floor? The question surprised the distraught Denton. Uh, The house isn't complete yet. We haven't put any floors into the upstairs rooms. Currently, there's nothing between the ground floor and the ceiling. Wilson let out another disappointed sigh and stood to look out of a window. Do you know why I have instructed for Homewood to be built and decorated the way I have? He asked, though not looking to see the foreman's response. The architecture is of the Gothic Revival style, so chosen to reflect that of our church and thus of our Lord. Do you believe in God, man? The foreman nodded. Yes, sir, I do. Mr. Wilson turned. He now had an odd smile on his face. I love my God. My home shall be a tribute to him. But more so, it shall bring his light to that godless valley. When we first found the site, it was a dense, ancient forest. Then when I bought the land, I ordered it to be cleared. As they were doing so, in among all the trees, we found offerings. Makeshift altars, adornments hanging from branches. The locals and their pagan ways had infected that land. That's when we knew why they protested our being there so much. My home would be a beacon for God, who will in turn protect all who dwell within and cleanse that land of the demonic ways of those pagans. It's all part of God's plan to deliver righteousness to all corners of the globe. But do you know what's not part of that plan? The foreman looked up at Wilson and shook his head. Ghosts, the wealthy man replied simply. There is heaven, there is damnation, there is purgatory, and the end of days. But there is nothing else. No ghouls, no spectres. The boy fell, likely from his own clumsiness. The lights were extinguished from a gust of wind through the incomplete house. The voices were probably your own, echoing through the empty, ceilingless rooms. The foreman looked like he was about to protest, but thought against it. The only thing we have to fear in this world is the evil in men's hearts. Wilson took his seat again on the opposite side of his desk and fixed another penetrating stare into the other man, who was now looking more unsettled than ever. So, Mr. Denton, I am going to make a deal with you and your superstitious men, and I want your word that you will honour your end of the agreement. The foreman frowned thought for a moment, then nodded. Very well, sir. Good. 
in order to prove to you and your men that there is nothing to fear, I shall spend an entire night alone in Homewood Mansion. Should I spend the entirety of this evening without incident, you and your men shall return forthwith and resume your work on my house. Do you find my terms agreeable? The foreman stuttered as he spoke again. Sir, I'm, I'm not sure if I could speak for my men. Are you a man of your word, Mr. Denton? Denton scrunched up his face and bit his lip. Agonizing over what should have been such a simple choice. Reluctantly, he nodded. The carriage ride was long and tedious. But as it approached the village that neighboured the Homewood estate, Wilson felt rejuvenated. To lay eyes on those who sat in opposition to his god was a feat he took seriously, and he had no intention of looking weary before them. He would command their respect. From the window, he saw people in the street, dressed in simple woven clothing going about their daily lives. The torches along the paved road had already been lit despite it still being in the early hours of the evening. Workers from the mill were returning home to their cottages, where wives and children were waiting. When they saw the carriage, each one of them stopped what they were doing and stared in near disbelief. Looking upon their sad and unclean faces, Wilson nearly pitied them though it was clear as he passed that they bore no love for him. This fact was compounded when something heavy struck the side of the carriage. He heard his driver cry an exclamation of warning and felt the carriage swerve as he straightened its course, throwing Wilson across his seat. He was startled, but only for a moment, and after regaining his balance, anger overcame him. He banged on the roof to signal to the driver to stop, then pushed the carriage door open. Which of you threw that? He shouted, hanging from the door, looming over the people before him like a vulture on a branch. The evening was cool and clammy. The sky was a calm, twilight blue. But the flames of the torch flickered under his face, painting it the color of his rage. He looked as much a demon as these folks could ever have expected to see. Wilson saw a flicker of fright in the eyes of the younger ones. Good, he thought. If they will not respect me, then I shall make them fear me. Throwing stones anonymously is the mark of a coward. At least have some dignity and confess, he shouted to the crowd. No one answered. As I thought. Cowards. All. He made to return back inside the coach, but a voice called out to him. That land is not yours, it said. He re-emerged and surveyed the crowd for the source of the voice. It was a young, mousy-haired woman with a hard scowl. You dared to... Wilson started, but was cut off by a man of a similar age stood in a crowd behind the carriage. Those woods were ours. They can't just be bought and sold and built upon. You have no right. There were nods building among the throng. 
Wilson simply laughed. The woods were yours, were they? For your practice of black magic? Communing with the devil? Sacrifice? He smirked as he addressed them. Those woods were a gift from God, and you perverted them with your heathen practices. They had been corrupted, and it was my responsibility to see that corruption was cleansed. And on the site of that blasphemy, I shall erect my home as a haven of God. I have no right. The land cannot be bought and sold. Please, find a court or a law that would agree with you. In the meantime, I have a duty given to me by God. And I will see it through. The crowd simmered with anger but no one responded. Wilson gave a final sneer, and before he retreated back into the carriage, he turned and gave one final address to the village, his words dripping with menace. These behaviours will not be tolerated for the future. Satisfied his point had been made, he returned to his seat, closing the door behind him, and knocked for the driver to move along. Homeward lay in a low valley to the west of the village. The carriage snaked its way down the mile-long dirt track that led to the house, racing against the deepening darkness of the evening. At the bottom of the hill, they turned a corner into a clearing, and the mansion came into view. Reaching up into the sapphire sky, the resplendence of the exterior was undeniable and Wilson was surprised at the quality of the work that had been completed. Everything seemed to be as he had requested. But despite his satisfaction with the appearance of the outside, there was no trace of light from within, so the house seemed like a dead leviathan, or an ancient monolith from a forgotten civilization, rather than his new home. The driver brought the carriage up to the main entrance and immediately began unloading his master's bags. Wilson stepped out and instructed that the driver take the bags inside. Then he was to light every lamp he could find, all those that the workman had left behind, plus the others that he had brought with him. As the man went about his work, Wilson decided to survey what he could of his new grounds. The house did not occupy as much of the cleared woodland as he was expecting, so there would be plenty of opportunities to expand the property in the future. Through the dark, he could make out the tree line that encircled the clearing. The only way of entrance or exit to the house was by the road by which they had just arrived. Otherwise, the house and grounds were surrounded by the surviving brothers of the trees that had been felled. After the incident in the village, Wilson had a mind to clear more of these trees, to create roads from all directions. He was not about to be told what he could or couldn't do with his land by the peasantry. The driver finished igniting the lamps, and Wilson gave him a few coins to rent a room at the tavern in the next town. He told him not to return until noon the next day. The driver had hoped that he would not have to drive any further due to the strains of the day and given that there was ample room at Homewood. Nonsense, came Wilson's reply. You will go 
rest, eat, and restore yourself. I made a promise that I would be able to spend a night in this house alone without incident. If you were with me, then I wouldn't be alone. And I am nothing if not a man of my word. He hoped it would have felt like a premature homecoming upon stepping inside the mansion. Instead, he found it more like walking onto a battleground the day after a skirmish. Tools and belongings lay strewn about carelessly, covered in a layer of dust and already looking like fossils. Wilson walked through the stone corridors and emerged into the main living hall. He looked up, and what he saw was as bizarre and startling as anything he had ever witnessed. He could see clear up to the roof. The walls were adorned with doorways that led to nowhere. Fireplaces suspended in the middle of those walls had no earthly way to be accessed. Fan columns stood erect with nothing atop them to support. Archways and struts spread from wall to wall, looking so much like bones that Wilson suddenly had the feeling of inadvertently wandering into the belly of a whale. He was disgusted that his grand design had been abandoned unfinished, and made a mental note to make sure that Denton and his men were duly penalised for this lost time. He tread carefully across the bare floor, but his footsteps still echoed throughout the empty house. He took in what work they had actually completed. At the east end of the room, in a shadowy place just before the wall, he could make out something on the floor, though he couldn't see it clearly in the dark. He raised a lamp and shone it upon the floor, bringing the dark shape into view. It was blood, likely from the wounds sustained by the young man. Wilson looked up and held his lamp aloft, illuminating a doorway roughly twenty feet above him. The light danced across the shape of the frame, but could not penetrate the recesses beyond. An inexplicable queer feeling overcame him, and Wilson felt a shudder as he imagined what could be hidden behind that threshold, watching from inside the shadows. He still fervently didn't believe in ghosts, but anyone or anything that had happened to enter the mansion in the last few days could have been hiding in there. Uncomfortable and unfamiliar with the feeling of fear, Wilson clapped and shouted out at the doorway in an effort to startle any beast or person that may be hiding within, enough to give themselves away. But nothing stirred. No sound of shuffling or gasp of surprise. Just the sound of his call reverberating around the house and falling back around him like rain. He was alone. Satisfied, he decided to make his camp in this room for the night, figuring it was where the workmen stated they had experienced their supernatural encounter. He unpacked a small dinner of prepared food from his chest and dined straight away. Once he finished, he took the opportunity to keep the protection of his lord close by reading from his Bible. This would allow him to stay quiet enough to listen for any suspicious sounds in the night which may require his attention, while keeping him engaged enough to prevent him falling asleep. The hours went by, 
No sounds or ghostly sightings were made. Wilson became weary of the tedium of the evening and checked his watch. It was only a little after half past one. He sighed and glanced around at the stillness of the house, dismayed at the amount of remaining time before morning. He asked for God to grant him the patience and rigor to complete his task without succumbing to the fatigue that was now beginning to settle in his eyes before returning to his reading. Only a few minutes had passed when he began to nod, his head bobbing slowly down to his chest, eyelids heavy. He felt the book start to fall from his hands and shook himself awake, breathing deeply to rouse himself looking all around the room once more, as if to be sure he hadn't been caught. Then he adjusted himself, and looked down to his book once more. Then, without warning, every lamp was snuffed out. Wilson panicked and cried out, his mind painfully alert once again. He scrambled to his feet and looked all around him, but could not see anything through the blackness he was now surrounded by. He waited for his eyes to adjust, but for a time that felt like forever, he was completely blind. Then came the voices. Wilson couldn't believe what he was hearing, just as the foreman had described it. A wave of terror washed over him, making him shudder. But he was not willing to give in. He listened, trying to make out what the voices were saying. There were many voices, speaking all as one, and from the few words he caught, they were speaking in a language unknown to him. But what he found most curious was that although the voices were quiet, they were not whispers. Instead, they were full-throated, chorus-like, but sounded like they were coming from far away. It was then that he spotted a light from outside, small at first but growing brighter. He ran to the nearest window and looked out. Down in the trees the light was getting closer. It shone like a torch flame, fire flickering across the branches casting shadows. Then he spotted others. Smaller lights, but far more numerous, until the whole forest looked as if it were ablaze. The first light broke through the tree line, and Wilson gasped. It was larger than he originally thought, much larger. And high above the grassy clearing, it hovered. It took the shape of a man, and it was wreathed in flames. Wilson looked at the demon approaching his home and clutched his Bible closer still to his breast. At first he was seized by a fear which froze him to the spot. But as it got closer, he noticed something by the creature's legs. It was being carried. Two figures held the creature above them on a pole. These figures were wearing robes of no distinct color but marched with their idol closer towards the house. The living room was now brighter, as if the sun was rising, 
Wilson looked behind him and saw from the window on the opposite side of the room that the smaller lights were now emerging through the trees on that side also. As the light grew, so did the volume of the voices, and he realized that the lights and the voices were one and the same. The figures out there, so many of them, were all speaking together. Not speaking, chanting. The villagers, he thought. He could see them now as they swarmed towards the house surrounding it. They all wore robes of a matching style, but with no uniform color. Most of them carried torches, and by the light of their flames he could see their faces were all covered in masks. Some of them were shapeless, featureless leather creations. Others assumed the form of a fox, a rabbit, birds, all manner of creatures of the forest. Their chanting intensified. The two carrying the flaming effigy stabbed the pole into the earth, and their flaming figure proudly stood in defiance of the great mansion. The two figures then rejoined the group, who were now standing shoulder to shoulder, creating a circle around the house. There was a cracking sound from somewhere above Wilson, which he hardly registered over the horrors of what was taking place outside. He banged on the window and ordered them all to leave. He cried out to them, exclaiming that the power of God protected him, and that he shall smite them for this heresy. But no one could hear his words. They nearly echoed around his grand home, reflecting the sound of his own panic back at him. The chanting did not falter, and the villagers did not break their circle. Another cracking sound, this one much deeper, came from the western wall. Something was happening to the effigy. Wilson watched as the flames ate deeper into the figure, and one of his extremities broke off and fell to the ground, scorching a patch of grass. Seconds later there was another crack, this time longer and louder as one of the top towers split from the house and came tumbling down crashing to the ground with a sound that made Wilson cover his ears. It finally dawned on him what was happening, but he couldn't believe it. That his creator would allow for such unnatural things to be possible was a horrifying thought. He watched, and another piece fell from the effigy, and as soon as it did, the ceiling above him broke open as a chimney fell through the roof and hurtled onto the stone floor of the mansion rocking the foundation, breaking some of the wall struts, and exploding in a cloud of powder and bricks. One struck Wilson in the leg, and he collapsed. The pain was excruciating, but he pulled himself up again in spite of it. He needed to escape, but once standing, he discovered he couldn't put any weight upon it. Helplessly, he turned to look out the window again, the heretics continued in their dark chorus. You are all damned, he cried out. Where I am going, my God shall welcome me as a brother, as a martyr, he cackled, his laughter carrying throughout the great expanse of his home. It responded with rumbles and splintering. The voices pressed on relentlessly. Wilson dropped to his knees, 
pressed his hands together and began to pray. Our father! But that was as far as he got. The walls of the mansion split apart and one by one they all began to crumble inward, falling upon their owner in a scramble of wood and glass and stone. Wilson screamed. The sound was deadened immediately by the falling debris. The effigy had succumbed to the flames entirely, and the pole that held it now burned unadorned. The house was completely destroyed. The masked figures ceased their words and took a few moments to absorb the sight of the ruin until it was quiet and still once more. No one stirred within. No one ever would. Then, a figure in a mask decorated with antlers turned and led the procession into the trees, which gladly consumed them all and each of the lights of their torches, until the ruin of Homewood Mansion was left once again, alone and in darkness. <laughs>